Well, I got to say, you guys are the spiritual people. You guys are at the first ever 8.30 service in the history of Lifehouse Church. And I just want to give you guys kudos for getting up early after St. Patrick's Day. Uh, I don't know what you guys do on St. Patrick's Day, but hopefully it's holy. Um, but uh, regardless, you are here, and we are stoked to see you here at the first ever 8.30 service what is my sister doing? I don't, I don't know. Oh, she's, she is putting a clock there for me. Because the best thing with this service is we've got to be done by a certain time. Because if we're not, uh, the 10 o'clock is going to be joining us. Because we have got a 10 o'clock service. And so if I'm not done, um, we are going to be having guests join us at the 10 o'clock service. So I, so I need to make sure that I am on point. And possibly that, that is why you chose to come to this service, is, is, is because you know um, <laughs> it's going to have a stopping point. <laughs> it's it's going to have a stopping point because we got to get another service in here. But, man, we are just stoked that you are with us. We have been in, in a, a sermon series, Who is This Man, talking about Jesus. The first week we talked briefly about getting Jesus out of our box, that it's so easy for us to put Jesus in a box from past experiences, from past church experiences, and we, we keep Jesus limited to the box that we have experienced, and we keep Jesus in there. Last week we talked about taking the lid off of Jesus' influence in our lives, of basically saying we need to get the lid off and basically invite Jesus to have more influence in our lives. Because what we like to, to do is take Jesus and conform him to us rather than say, God, take us and conform us to you, right? So we, so we challenged you last week to take the lid off. This week, um, I, I'm not sure if you have, have seen, but Jesus is typically one of the most misquoted, misquoted, misunderstood, misinterpreted people that has ever lived. Like, I can see Jesus so many times in heaven doing face palms. <laughs> like, just, just like face palm upon face palm upon face palm. Like, this dude is saying what in my name? This guy is taking what in the Bible and making it fit his agenda? So when I said, love your enemies, I did not mean go on a crusade and kill people. <laughs> right? Like, it's, it's like Jesus is the most, like, a misquote. Like, people love to take what Jesus says and make it say what they want it to say. It happens all the time, and I don't think it really happens anymore frequently than with what Jesus said and what was quoted about Jesus in Scripture. Now, let me give you a lesson on how to misinterpret anything. It's going to be a quick little lesson. Lacey, your phone's going off. Just, just a heads up. <laughs> I don't think it has been 30 daggone minutes yet, okay? All right. No, but um, 
Let me give you a quick lesson on how to misinterpret, misunderstand anything. The quickest way to do that is to take one scene out of a movie, to take one quote out of the interview, or one sentence in in the book and form in a view or or an opinion based on one scene, one quote, or one sentence. It happens all the time. People take one quote that somebody said in this interview and say, see, that's his viewpoint. And what they miss is something called context. Context. Everyone say context. You need to make sure, if you don't learn anything else today, I would encourage you, whenever you read the Bible, whenever you read anything, whenever you watch anything, movie, whatever, make sure you get context. Context, context, context. Let me show you, or let me tell you a quick slogan that I learned in Bible college that talks about how Scripture, Jesus, the, in, anything in, in the, the Bible can, can be misinterpreted. Ready? Ready? A text with no context is a pretext for a proof text. A text with no context is a pretext for a proof text. Basically saying a text that you take out of Scripture and don't give it context, what you're doing is you're basically saying, I'm going to prove something by one statement in the Bible. Let me give you the most misinterpreted statement that if there was a top ten list of misinterpreted Scriptures, I think up there would probably be Philippians 4.13. I can do all things to Christ. No, you can't. You can't even go to church. Like you can't even eat right. Like you can do all things through Christ. What that actually means, the context there is contentment. Paul, Paul says, I know what it is to have a whole lot. I know what it is to have nothing. Let me tell you the secret of being content in each and every circumstance. I can do all things through Christ. What he's saying there is whatever Christ brings your way, you can handle it. He's not saying you can be a quarterback in the NFL if you quote that scripture 50 times. You're a 5'9", 140-pound white boy that no one wants on their team. No matter how many times you say that scripture, you are not going to be an NFL quarterback. Right? But the next, yeah, sorry, Mike Knapp. The next, misinter- the next misinterpreted scripture is the one that we're going to be talking about today. And this one's funny because even if you ain't a Christian, you hate Jesus, you don't love the Bible, they use this scripture. Like, it is their mantra. Matter of fact, it is our cultural mantra. Judge not. Now, I'm going King James Version here. I don't know why. (laughs) Judge not, lest ye be judged. (laughs) I don't know why I say it that way. Do not judge or you will be judged. Our, one of our culture's favorite scripture verses. And we're going to actually put it up here, Matthew 7, 1 through 2. It says this, do not judge. This is, is Jesus speaking here. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to, you know. Like I said, even people that don't love Jesus use this scripture. My son, who is six years old, two weeks back, I have, so we were, you know, driving in the car, and he's back there doing something. He shouldn't be hitting his brother, 
or, you know, doing, doing something. And my wife corrected him and said, no, you stop, stop that. You shouldn't be doing that. And out of the mouth of my six-year-old son, he says, don't judge me. Did you know that, Lacey? Yeah. He said, don't judge me. I'm like, brother? Come up here right right now. I don't care. Take your belt off. Come up here. You're getting smacked for that one. No. He says to me, do not judge me. And I think his interpretation of what that scripture is, is honestly a lot of the way our culture views it. It's basically saying, get out of my life. Leave me alone. You have no right to tell me anything is wrong because in our culture, morality, anything goes. Like, the worst thing you could ever do is tell someone that they're wrong. But it's funny that the most people that preach and want tolerance the most are really tolerant until you tell them something against their tolerance, and then they get really intolerant. Right? It's kind of like, what? Like, you were just preaching tolerance, though. I just, I just disagreed with you on something, and now you're angry at me. I thought you just wanted, wanted tolerance. But when we hear this word judge, what we typically mean is, I'm right. You have no authority. Not even God has any authority to tell me what is right and what is wrong. But that is a gross misinterpretation of this scripture if we just stop at that meaning that our culture puts to it. We have to view this scripture, and as we do with any other scripture in the Bible, in context, not just of the book, but also in light of all of scripture. So let's, let's check out the context here, Matthew 7. We're going to start uh, uh, again in verse 3. It says this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite? I don't know why my, my voice went up there. Hypocrite! First, take out the plank out, out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, I, I, I think in light of this context here, we need to make a couple, a, a couple observations. First off here... Um, there's a couple different nuances to that word judge. One of, one of them is to, is to discern what is right and what is wrong. And I think a lot of us do this on a very daily basis. That's why some of you don't eat at Taco Bell. Because you discern, if I eat Taco Bell, I'm going to pay for it later. There's going to be a stomach issue that it's going to happen, and I'm going to be somewhere for a real long time. No one going to the bathroom for 35, 45 minutes, right? It's like, it's going to, going to be bad. And that is why some of you discern, you judge, you make a decision to eat at Chipotle instead of Taco Bell. That is why parents here, you don't let your kids have Sour Patch Kids, Coca-Cola, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If it was their decision, if it was their judgment, if it was their choice, that's what they would do. But, no, you make a decision, you judge, and you say, you're going to eat chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese. Why? Because you are discerning what is right and what is wrong. So, really, here, I don't think Jesus is not saying we can't discern what is right and what is wrong. 
what Jesus is saying here, the way he actually uses this word, is he doesn't, here, here he is condemning people who make permanent judgments or decisions about people without being aware or understanding their own messed upness. Let me say that one more time. Jesus here is condemning people who are trying to correct other people or, or, or who are, are making permanent judgments about people without realizing or understanding their own messed upness. Jesus is saying that we need to first off understand how messed up we are because our first inclination is to see the jacked upness and messed upness in others before we see it in ourselves. He says, he calls it a plank that's in our eye and a speck that is in somebody else's eye. I think because Jesus wants us to see the worst kind of sin is the worst kind of sin that's in us. But typically, what are we the most blinded by? Which is typically in our blind spot the most? It's the sin that resides and is in us. And that sin, ultimately, what I think Jesus is saying here is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Have you been around those people, man? They are the worst. The thing their stuff doesn't stink. You know what I'm saying? They think their stuff doesn't stink, and they're always going around telling people how much their stuff stinks. But you never see them actually do it in a spirit of love and grace. It's always done with, with kind of this whole spirit of my stuff doesn't stink, your stuff does stink. But this is what I have found out. We are either a mess, were a mess, or are one dumb decision from being a mess. That's the truth. You either are hiding that you are a mess, you either are a mess and people know it, or you are one stupid decision from being or becoming a mess. I'm reminded of that daily. Well, I'm one decision away from losing this church. Ain't that crazy? I'm one dumb decision away from probably losing my family. And what I, and what I think Jesus wants us to get into our minds and in our hearts here is that we need to come face to face with A, how messed up we are, or how B, how close we're on the edge of being there. And before we go and judge and talk about and make permanent decisions about other people and how they should be better and how better they should be living right now and how much they should understand what they have, Jesus is telling us you need to make sure you look deeply inside of your heart and your life and get that two by four that's lodged in your eye out before you go and get a speck out of someone else's life. Now, why, do, why does this sort of self-righteousness typically breed itself? Because I've been in the church a long time, and let me tell you this. A lot of people hit this point where they just, you know, they just think they're better than everybody. And, and what, what I see happens is we typically compare ourselves amongst ourselves. And when you compare yourself amongst yourself, it's kind of funny how you always win. Like, your sin is never as bad as someone else's, no matter how bad your sin is. Yeah, I know I killed someone. The Bible does say if you call someone an idiot, it's like killing them. So they're worse than me. You know, it's like, 
we, we have these, this crazy balance system that we've all got in our minds where we, we just are consistently comparing and just wanting to make ourselves feel better. When I think we compare ourselves with the wrong people. I think Jesus is, is saying here, if, if we're going to actually see our messed upness, the only person we should ever compare ourselves with is God. Because when we compare ourselves with him, Scripture tells us this, our righteous acts are like dirty rags. There's no one that does good, not even one. I find it interesting, the dude that wrote half of the New Testament, Paul, 13 books in the New Testament, none of y'all have never written any books of the Bible, or will, right? Like, none of us have. Like, the dude that, that wrote that in 2 Timothy called himself the chief of sinners. He said, I am chief, meaning I'm, the, I'm at the top of the list. Why? Why would a guy that, honestly, if, if, if anyone put good acts beside each other, Paul would be so much higher above everybody. Why did he say that? Because he came face to face with the grace of God. And he could not condemn and permanently put decisions of who people are on somebody just because he had been comparing himself to who God is. And compared to God, everyone's messed up. And he was able to say, yeah, I know I've done a lot of good things. I know I've started churches. I know I've wrote books of the Bible. I know I've, I've done surpassed all y'all, but let me tell you this. When I compare myself to who God is and what God has done, let me tell you who I am. I'm the chief of sinners. What if more people in the church, instead of comparing themselves amongst themselves, actually compared themselves with the true standard, and that's God? I think we would all be a little more apt to take this log that we have in our in our eye and throw it out. You know, I realize that um, it is almost impossible. I would say it is impossible to judge somebody and love somebody at the same time. And what I mean by judge is you make a permanent decision about them. When you do that, it's so hard to love them with, a, with, with the genuine, pure love of Christ because all you see is who they are or what they've done, and you, you, you're just hanging on to that. You've, you've got the two-by-four in them. You, you've got the two-by-four logged into your eye, and it's so hard for you to actually love them when you are judging them. Now, let me also, though, say what Jesus did not mean here. Jesus did not mean here that we should never take specks out. Like Jesus said, you know, like, like yes, like you should take specks out of someone else's eye. Um, he, Jesus is, is never saying here that you shouldn't go to somebody and discern whether, they're, whether what they're doing is right or wrong. But he says before you do that, you need to make sure you understand your messed upness. Because if you don't understand your messed upness, then you will go to them without a spirit of love, without a spirit of grace. You will go to them with this haughty, puffed up ad attitude that will not lift them up. It will actually tear them down. So, but we've got to understand and, and be okay and be content with it. As a church, we need to actually let other people, like actually allow other people to take specks out of our eye. Like, we need to actually be okay if somebody comes up to us, somebody, a trusted brother, someone that you love and cares for you, comes up, up, up to you and actually discerns that what you're doing is actually right or wrong. We need to be open to receiving that, right? 
I've seen so many people in church, the reason they leave church and say bump church and get out of church is because somebody came up to them, and it might have been in a spirit of love, it might have been in a spirit of whatever, I'm, I'm not sure, but they were told that, that what they were doing possibly wasn't God's best, and what they ended up doing is leaving the church because they got offended. And I don't think that's the way to go either. I don't think it's we should never take specs out. But at, this, but at the same time, if someone does come, come up to you and in a spirit of love and grace says, hey, look, I see you doing this, and I'm really concerned, and I'm really, really worried about your heart. I'm really concerned that what you're doing here could possibly lead towards a path of, of whatever, of sin, of, of deeper sin, of hurting people, I, I think you should think about what you're doing. And I, I, I just know this, like people don't like to be told what they're doing is wrong. They're like a cat in water. It's kind of like, ugh, because what rises up within us? A lawyer. Do you know who I am? Who are you? Really? And you just get this whole spirit of like, just no. I, and then what do, what do we go? Don't judge me. No, don't judge me. Who are you to judge? And we get the same cultural, what, mantra. No one can tell me what I'm doing is wrong. I'm my own boss. But we also, unfortunately, allow this to happen with Jesus as well. Where we won't even let Jesus judge us. And what we actually end up doing is we actually take our standard of what is right and wrong and put it above Jesus's. And we think that Jesus would never tell us no. If you serve a Jesus that will never tell you no, he's not your Lord. He's not your Lord. He is, he, he is your genie. He, he is your yes man. And a lot of people want Jesus to be a yes man. And they don't want Jesus to be Lord. That's some tough words there. You know? But if we're going to be conformed to his image instead of taking Jesus and conforming him to our image, we got to have a heart that welcomes correction from Jesus, that welcomes correction from other people, that, that, that trusts that if someone is going to speak into us, that they have good motives. And we've got to guard ourselves from consistently being offended at people encouraging us and challenging us to become more like Jesus. You know, Paul, like I said, Paul, he was the chief of sinners, and Paul planted different churches, and Paul had to deal with some pretty insane stuff. Paul was a church planter. He planted churches in very godless cities. One of them was in the city of Corinth, and this was a church that was just known, and I mean, like, think of, like, if there was a DVD made called Church Gone Wild. Like, the Church of Corinth would have been the poster church for this. Because you just read the book of Corinth, and Paul was simply, basically, addressing issues and addressing questions that the church had. And one of them was about incest. There, there, there was this thing going on where, where this, this, I don't, I mean, I don't know the particulars, but the, the, the son loved the mom or, or some, something like that. And Paul could have just been like, look, guys, I know we all stumble. 
I know we all fall. We're all sinners. I'm not going to judge you. Just Jesus loves you, bro. Jesus is good, bro. Just you do you, bro. <laughs> all right? And Paul could have done that, but Paul was like, Face palm. <laughs> he's like, he's like, like face palm, man. Face palm. And, and so Paul here, we're going to actually check out in 1 Corinthians 5, he actually addresses it, but then says, says this. He said, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Basically saying, look, sinners know that they, they, sinners are going to do what sinners do. Sinners are going to sin. So I'm not going to hold them accountable or judge them to something that, honestly, they don't even have a standard for. But he says, let me tell you this. Are you not to judge those inside? They're saying, if they're inside of the church, we need to do some discerning. Like, we, we need, you know, Paul is basically telling them, hey, yes, God judges the outside, but God has put the church here to help us judge each other to help us discern what is right and what is wrong. God has given us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us to help us discern what is right and what is wrong for the purpose of becoming more and more like God. I hope you know Lifehouse Church here. We're not interested, like I've said multiple times, in getting you to love Lifehouse. We want you to become more like Jesus. We don't want to put rules on you. We're not here to just start another religious Church, we are here to get you passionately in love with Jesus. Because when you are passionately in love with him, what you end up saying, what you should say, whenever you sell out to Jesus, what you're saying is everything's on the table. Everything that I've thought, everything that I've wanted, everything that I have longed for, everything that I think is right. When you sell out to Jesus, what you are saying is I'm taking my standard of what I think is right and wrong and laying it before Jesus' feet and saying every part of my life is on the table. Now, I'm not holding back a part of me, what I want, what I think is right, what I think is good. You're saying every part of me is on the table. And when you do that, you open yourself up to not only being judged, by the church, but to be in like to be judged by God, like if there's something in God's word that doesn't line up with God's word, we should have a heart that says we're open. Yes, it might hurt hearing that, but my heart is open to receiving what God's word says about what I think is right. When actually, in reality, what God says, what God's word says, it's not right. That's not easy. Because we, we're, we, we want to take Jesus and make him into our image instead of being conformed to who Jesus is. That's what we ultimately want. But I, I think it helps also, too, whenever we understand, yes, that we need people in the church to judge us, okay? So, like, we need, my prayer is that Lifehouse Church, you would feel comfortable enough to know, first off, from the top down, starting with myself, I understand how messed up and jacked up I am. And I tell people all the time, you stink. Not like, not physically, but like we're one dumb decision, we're one dumb choice away from, from ruining our lives. And we need to love people and serve people and, 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 and love people in light of that. And be gracious and be loving, but also be truthful. 
But at the same time, I think it also helps us to welcome judgment from the church whenever we realize we're going to stand before God's judgment seat. Now, not a lot of people preach this. This is kind of weird. It's kind of old school here. <laughs> but Scripture teaches us and tells us one day we're all going to stand in the Individually, not you with your, your husband, not you with your wife, not you with so many, with, with people around you. You, by yourself, are one day going to stand before God, and Scripture tells us, face judgment. I don't know about you, but when I start thinking about it that way, I, I, I'm like, judge me, church. <laughs> judge me, church. Judge me. Discern me. Look at, look at my life. Get me out of my blind spots. I know you might tell me something that I do something wrong, and I hate the fact that, that you're telling it to, to me, but I'd rather feel the pain now than feel the pain later. But I think living before in light of God's ultimate judgment helps us do a few things. Number one, it helps us live in reverent fear. It helps us live in not a, like, you know, abused child, like, oh, oh my God, you know, kind of like the box that I had Jesus in which was one of, if I do anything, God's going God's to strike me with lightning. It's just I'm walking around like, I can't cuss when the rapture comes or I'm not going. You know, it's like walk, walking around in this like fear, but it's, it is a reverential fear of walking around saying in light of who God is and what God has done, I want to I steward everything that God has given me, my time, my talent, my treasure, my gifts, everything that I am. I want to steward it the right way. Why? Because one day I'm going to stand before the creator and give an account for my life. So it should challenge us to live in a reverential fear of saying God has given you one life. He's given you time, he's given you talent, he's given you treasure, and to live in light of that. Secondly, too, though, we should welcome God's ultimate judgment. Let me tell you why. I can't not look in our world and be ticked off, pissed off, mad about all the injustice happening. And there are so many times that I'm like, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? How can you let this country massacre so many people? How can you let... So many of these children, the, these countries' leaders are just watching die because of their political agenda. How could you sit back and watch that? There are so many questions that I have unanswered and things that I do not know why things happen, why good things, why bad things happen to good people. I have no clue why. And honestly, I believe many people, you probably know people, that is their one big what? Hang up. You're one big of why they're not going to serve Jesus, why they're not going to love God, why that, that's their one thing. I couldn't serve a God that allows this to happen. But let me tell you what God's ultimate judgment gives me comfort in. People will reap what they sow. It might not be happening now. Galatians 6 says, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. And God is being mocked because people think what they're doing now does not matter. The injustice that's going on, the pain that's going on, the hurt that's going on. But, oh, Paul makes it clear. He, he says, trust, tr trust me, whoever sows to please the flesh will reap the flesh. Whoever sows to please the spirit will reap 
the flesh. And then in, 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 verse num- in verse number nine, he says this, do not become weary in well-doing, for at the appointed time you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. And this is what I'm going to trust. I'm not going to judge who God is off of one scene. So many people have an interpretation of who God, who Jesus is, based on a few years. I'm going to have faith and trust God that he's in control. I don't understand every, 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 everything, but I have faith knowing one day everybody's going to stand before God and give an account, and God will repay what needs to be repaid. And God will reward what needs to be rewarded. So what do I need to do? I need to make sure I got my junk straight. I need to make sure I get the speck out of my eye. I need to make sure I get the two by four out of my eye. Realize my messed upness. Because whenever I realize that, it puts me in the position to then go and help take specks out of someone else's eye in a spirit of love and grace and one that will build them up and not tear them down and help them become more like Jesus. Travis, I'm, I'm not sure where you're at, man. If you could come up. I'm closing out. But also, too, God's judgment gives me hope because I know Scripture tell. yes, I know I'm done. No, I'm supposed to be done. Lacey, I'm going to take this phone and throw it. I'm just kidding. Good Lord. <laughs> but I, I know scripture tells me that Jesus took the ultimate judgment. Jesus took the ultimate consequence for sin on the cross. So I know if I put my faith and trust in what Jesus has already done, my eternal judgment is already declared. Because the heart of the gospel and who Jesus is and what Jesus did is the guiltless or the guiltless one died for the guilty. The one who lived a perfect life came and lived and died for the ones that didn't live a perfect sinless life, and that is everyone on this planet. And I know that when I stand before God, and yes, I'm going to face judgment for 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 whether the good or bad stuff that I have done, and he will reward all of those who put their faith in Christ for that, but at the same time, if you receive Christ, the ultimate judgment, the ultimate consequence was laid on Jesus in our place and for our sin. So we can be secure and confident knowing, yes, we're going to be judged, but our eternal judgment is already declared. And that gives me comfort. I pray the judgment of God gives you comfort, that it will encourage you to keep on going strong in reverent fear, that it will encourage you to know the wrongs will be righted, maybe not in your time, but God will judge and God will judge rightly. And those people will reap what they sow, whether good or bad. That gives me me comfort. Helps me answer a lot of questions that I don't have the answers to. But also, too, I, I don't know if you, are, if you are here today and you don't know if you stood before God where you would spend eternity. And I know not a lot of people ask that no, no more. But I believe it is a true reality. And if you accept Jesus, Scripture is, is clear on this, that if you accept Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us this. 
It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us in the things done while, while the body good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, tells us this, though. We don't have it. Okay, let me tell you what it, what it says. 2 Corinthians 5, 20, 21 tells us, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin for us so our sin debt could be paid for. And if you accept that by grace through faith on the cross, the penalty misses you. The penalty went on Jesus. The reward goes to you, and that is spending eternity with God. Church, my prayer for, for this church is that we would be a church gets the speck, that gets the two-by-four out of our eye, that all of us know our own messed-upness, that we would not be afraid to take specks out of somebody else's eye, that we would do it lovingly and graciously, though, but then we would live in light of the judgment seat of Christ and take comfort also, though, in it. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. God, we just, we just pray right now for each person here. God, we, we know ultimately you're in charge. And God, I just pray that we would live in light of your judgment, but that would also give us a comfort. Really, really quick, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would just say, John, look, man, I, 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 I want, maybe you've lived for Christ, you made a decision earlier, but you're just not sure if you were to stand before God right now where you would spend eternity at. You want to say, John, I want to make a decision again, possibly. You want to say, I want to make a decision for the first time today and say, John, I want to ensure that I know when I stand be before God, the judgment went on Jesus and it's not going to come on me eternally. And I want to put my faith in Jesus by his grace and accept that in your life today. And do what this song says, build your life on him. If you would say, John, I want to make that, de that, that decision today to put Jesus first, to make Jesus Lord, I'm going to count to you three. When I do that, if you would just take your right hand, put it up. I just, I just, I want to know who you are so we can pray for you. You say, John, I want to give my life to Jesus today. Ready? One, two, three. Anyone here? Anyone here? Anyone here? We're going to pray, pray church together. And if you raised up your hand, even if you didn't, but you want to say that prayer today, we're going to pray together with you. If everyone could repeat after me, Jesus, I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours. I thank you that when I was a sinner, you died for me. You took my judgment. And I thank you when I stand before you, the judgment will be that I am righteous, that I am holy, that I am set apart, that your blood was applied to me, and I am blameless before God. Jesus, thank you. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Lifehouse family, can we, can we please give it up for anyone that said that prayer today for the first time? If you did say that prayer today for the first time, you, you got a U card. If you would fill that out right where we're going to be taking up the offering here soon. Fill that card out. Check, check the box that says my life was changed by Jesus today for the first time. 
check that box, turn it into the offering basket. We want to follow up with you and connect with you and give you a few next steps of following Jesus. Can we all, Dan Lifehouse family, we're going to go back into a time here of worshiping and focusing. And I don't know what business you need to do with God today. Maybe you've got a log in your eye that you need to get out. Maybe you need to understand your messed upness. Maybe you need to, you know what, there's people in your life that you need to get the speck out. And you need to say, God, give me grace to do that in a loving and caring way. Whatever you need to do with God. We're going to sing. And we're going to pray this prayer. God, help me to build my life on you. It's worship life house.